Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is indeed Lord of all and that he is alive, that he is risen from the dead. And Father, I ask that as we hear your word, we would, we would love Jesus more, that we would see the value in him, that we'd see that, that he alone is, is worthy and he alone is, um, is worth giving all things for. And Father, that he should be the object of all of our desire. So, would you change us? Would you work through your spirit to make us uh, want Jesus more and to need him more and to, to love him more? We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Good morning. All right, so uh, we are moving through the, the Ten Commandments through the lens of the Ten Promises. And we have made it to the very end. We are at uh, commandment number 10. So uh, some of you are excited about that. Some of you are not. I don't know. Um, but I hope, I hope you've left encouraged. Because if these were just commandments, uh, they are crushing commandments. That God doesn't fool around with his commandments. That, uh, that he requires, requires a lot of us. But in Jesus, these these. Commandments become promises. That Jesus has fulfilled these commandments for us and he changes our hearts and he changes the, the rules of life even that we would be able to keep these commandments. And so, uh, with that, remembering that, we're looking at this final commandment. Which is a commandment, uh, ultimately, do not covet. Do not covet. I'll read it for you. If, uh, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Alright, so there's something unique about this 10th commandment. This is a commandment um, that has no outward expression. If you break this commandment, no one will know. No one will know. And we see this theme in the 10 commandments that, that we can miss, that it actually does start at your heart at your motives, at the things that you love, that, that God commands even that to be pure, even that to be perfect before him. And when Jesus kind of amps up the, the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, he's not, he's not cheating. He's not, he's not changing the Ten Commandments. He's just applying this principle that it better be true in your heart, not just in, in outward actions. He's applying that to all the commandments. So it's not just adultery, it's lust. It's not just... Stealing, it's greed. That God requires us to be, to be perfect inside and out. Together. The one without the other um, isn't true obedience. Now with that in mind, um, we're going to look at a very, a very specific kind of desire. We're going to look at, at coveting. This isn't just general desire. It's, it's coveting specifically. Specifically. Um, so we're going to see what, what it means. What is, what is coveting really? Why, why is it so destructive in the lives of God's people? And finally, how does Jesus change this commandment? How does he change the whole kingdom system so that we can keep this commandment? All right, so what is it? Why is it destructive? How do we, how do we fulfill this commandment? That's the plan. Let's jump into it. All right, so God is concerned with our desires, our motives, and our heart. But this commandment is not just the general, general commandment of desires. It's one very specific desire. 
you shall not covet. Coveting is, is wanting what another person has. That it's not just general materialism or general greed or just evil desires in general. It's, it's a very specific type that you want what your neighbor has, that you want what, your, what the person next to you has, that you long for it, you want it for yourself. Now, how do things change when it, when it goes from just general desire to, to coveting? All right, so let's say you have, you, have the, you have the iPhone, and it's at the Apple store. All right, you have the jacket still on the mannequin. You have the car still in the dealership. All right, you, might, you want it. You want it. There's a certain sin and desire in that. Um, you imagine that it's yours. All right, but it changes. It changes when instead of being on the mannequin or being at the Apple store, suddenly the person next to you is holding it. Because now it's personal. And the coolness of the iPhone is now like transferred to that person. They are vicariously cool through the thing. All right, they're putting on coolness in the jacket. They're driving it. And it, it, it's, it's not just about the thing anymore. It's about you and your neighbor. It's about you and them. And it starts to arise in our own hearts and our own minds. Like, okay, why do they get to be cool and I don't get to be cool? Why do they get to turn their desire into a reality and I don't? And we start to ask ourselves these questions. Like, okay, does God, does God love them more than he loves me? Is that person better than I am? And it reveals this like deep, really weird problem with our heart. That we, we question, okay, am I, am I inherently valuable? Am I as valuable as this person? Where do I stand? How am I doing? All right, that's, that's, that's covetousness. All right, so where do you see this? Where do you see this? Um, all right, when you're on Facebook, when you're on Facebook or you're on Instagram for you young folks, um, all right, and you see that perfect family, the perfect family, and they're like living it up in Cancun somewhere, all right? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? All right, maybe you start to get depressed. All right, most people get depressed when they, walk, when they go through Facebook. They do it when they're sad and they leave, leave sadder because their life is not as good as the people who's, who are living there. All right? And maybe you get bitter. Like, why am I not in Cancun right now? And I'm, I would probably have more fun in Cancun than they would. All right? Or, or, or you get the, like, passive-aggressive, like, Cancun's not even that good either. Like, that's such a, like, that's old news. I, I go to Tahiti. All right. Yeah. All right. Or, or, you go, or you think, like, okay, like, I know them. They're probably, they're probably spending too much. They're probably going into debt for this. You have to tear it down a little bit. Or, like, they're probably fighting the whole time. <laughs> they probably need vacation because they, all they do is fight. So good, good for them. All right, all right. <laughs> Why do we have to do that? But that's what we do. All right, that's coveting. All right, when we see people using their skills and their talents, and we think, well, like, why don't I have those skills? Why, why am I not good at that? I remember in high school, watch, as like we were sitting all as a family watching the Olympics, and I look over at them and my mom, and I say, Mom, why am I not good at anything? <laughs> Because like, I, I wasn't earning a gold medal. I wasn't a, a medalist. I, did, you know, I was just not good at everything. 
Why do they get to be good? And if, if they are good, like, I wish they were less good so that I would feel better about myself. All right, that's covetousness. It's when you walk into the room and, and you like, you have all of these scales and you're figuring out where you stand on the scales. And you keep going through the scales until you're doing better. Okay, it's so like, oh, like, am I the most beautiful person in the room? Am I the smartest? I'm like, okay, we fail some of those. Like, maybe I'm the hardest working. Maybe I'm the most humble. Like, okay, I think I'm the most humble in the room. Like, yeah, okay, I've, I've found my thing. All right, that's, that's covetousness. That, that we need to be on top, that we have this like kind of, we're always questioning if we're good enough. Now, now there's, there's something really wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. That why do we always ask ourselves like the question, like, it, are, are they more valuable than I am? Are they better than I am? Are they happier than I am? Does God love them more than they love me? Do they deserve more than me? Am I not giving what I deserve? All right, that shows a problem in our heart. Now, how does God come to us with that problem? What does he say to us when we're struggling with that in our heart? He says, it's actually, it's actually, it's not about you. It's not about you. All right, we want God to say like, oh, some like warm, fuzzy, like, no, you're like your own special flower. And like, and like, you're wonderful and don't worry about that. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, yes, there's a problem with you. And the problem is that you are inherently self-centered. And you have this self-glory complex. And that when you look out on the world, you assume that you should be on top. And that if other people have better things than you, that God should take those things from them and give them to you. And that if he doesn't, he's holding out on you. All right, that's covetousness. And that if you're not on top, then God isn't playing by, by the rules. He's not being fair. All right, God, God is... God is brutal, and he eventually says, like, okay, you're not the center of the universe. I am. I am the center of the universe. And all things were not created for, like, your happiness and your good and your glory. They were created for mine. And that I give people things that I'm not going to give to you. And I never said I'd give you all the gifts. And you'd be the best at everything. And if you were, like, I'd probably take those things away because... You wouldn't be the most humble in the room anymore. All right. Uh, all right, that's what God says to us. That's what God says. And it gets kind of devastating to us. And it feels wrong because when we wake up in the morning, like, you are you. And you are the center of your universe. And, like, you are looking through your eyes around these, and everyone's, everyone's, everyone's secondary to you. And we can start to get into this facade and think it's real. That like, no, like, all things really are for me. I really do deserve more. I am better. I, I like, should be better. That's the danger here. That it exposes our, that kind of heart. All right. Now, why is that so bad? Why is that so bad for, for people? 
to think this way. To think that they are the center, to think that, to desire the things of others. All right, first of all, first of all, it keeps us from loving God well. It keeps us from loving God well. And that's where we think that it's just, it's just us and our neighbors, but if God gives all things, then we're not actually resentful towards our neighbor. We're resentful towards God himself. They were pointing the finger at God and saying, God, you, you, haven't, you haven't given me what I deserve. Why don't you love me more? Why don't you bless me more? It's ultimately God's fault, and we're getting mad at God, not at each other. And we, and we miss out on, on opportunities to obey God. So things like thankfulness. Thankfulness. If everything is a gift, if everything is a gift, then everything we have is an opportunity to thank God. And to enjoy God and give God all of his praise and all the glory due for it. But instead, we find that the couple things that we're not the, good, the best at, that we don't have the best of, and we blame God for them. And those are the things we focus on when we are resentful towards God. All right. What, what, have you seen this before? Have you seen this before? All right. You see this in, uh, I've seen this, two, two great examples of this. When covetousness kills thankfulness. All right. We saw this a lot at the, at the Cecil County Fair. All right. And the little kids, the little kids, they spin the wheel. They spin the wheel. They get their number. They get a two, and you show them the two box. I don't want any of that stuff. I want the four box. Or like, how come you only have blue bubbles? I wanted pink bubbles. All right. And then you tell, like, you just, at that moment, you just want to go, like, how about you get no bubbles, kid? Like, you didn't, you didn't earn these. You didn't earn the spin wheel. Just get out of here. <laughs> Matt wouldn't let me be mean like that. I was mean like that. Or like, I want three more prizes. Like, star, you can't have that. Like, no, they're free. You told me. No, okay, yeah. All right, that's, that's the mentality we have with God. They're like, well, like, how, come, how come he got a four prize and I only got a three prize? Like, they're all prizes. This isn't your wages. These are prizes that are just freely given. All right, uh, another example of this. Another example of this. Um, so a bunch of people, some people came to my apartment in college and they were going to feed the homeless. They were going to feed the homeless. So of course, like, you can't just like sit there on the couch and be like, I'm not going to go with you to feed the homeless. So, okay, so I, I went to feed the homeless. So we made peanut butter jelly sandwiches and we went to the homeless to give to them our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The first guy we met, what did he say? I don't like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I like turkey sandwiches. You have turkey sandwiches. Like, no, man, we only have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Sorry. Like, I thought you just wanted to eat, but no, you wanted a turkey sandwich. I wish we'd known. All right, when we encounter people who act like we act with God, we don't like them. And we want to take away all the gifts, and we just, we resent it. All right, that is who we are with God. That he pours out abundant blessings and all we do is like look around and see, okay, how, how more can I get? That's the problem. And we add on top of that this level that like we deserve it. That we deserve it. It's not about grace anymore. That, that if God, if you gave it to them, like I deserve it too. 
when we don't deserve anything. I mean, me and my coworker, we are looking for houses at the same time. We are, we are house shopping and, and impressed by how entitled we could be. And we'd say things like, like, oh, like you know, we, like, we deserve counter, like granite countertops. And we deserve vaulted ceilings. Like, there's no vaulted ceilings in this house. Like, and what did we have to realize? Like, okay, what, what kind of house did we deserve from God? We deserved a cardboard box in hell. All right, that's as much as we had earned of our own steam. That's what God owed us. And if we got anything better than that, that was grace. That was grace for us. All right, covetousness, it kills all of the thankfulness for the grace that God has bestowed upon us. All right, second, second. It kills the, the love that we have for God. And second, it kills... It kills the opportunity to love other people. To love other people. Alright, so when you're covetousness, or when you're covet, covetous, when you covet, um, another person's stuff, alright, you, you are grieved by their blessing. That the more they get, the, un, the more unhappy you get. And if they lose their blessings, then you're happy. They're happy. Okay. What kind of person is that? The only person you treat like that is your absolute enemy. Is your enemy. That's how you treat people you hate. But when you covet things, you are hating that person. You're hating that person. That you're, you're trying to steal the blessings away from them. You are rejoicing when they lose. You are weeping when they, when they rejoice. It's, it's totally backwards. And it breeds this kind of weird rivalry and competition in the church that kills all, any opportunity to love one another. Because what, is, what are we actually supposed to do? What are we actually supposed to do? How are we supposed to treat people? If we actually want to love them, we have this very helpful verse, which is very convicting. Um, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That it shouldn't be that when other people are weeping, we're like breathing, oh, like, oh, glad I dodged that bullet. Or when they get something that we're, we're grieving of their, over their blessing. No, so it, it, we enter into, and we are, we are with them where they are. All right, weeping people, weeping people. You know who you are. All right, this applies to you too. So the weeping people are usually looking out and being like, no one is weeping with me. Where are the people to weep with me? All right, the commandment is for you, weeping people, to go rejoice. Go find people to rejoice with. That's what your responsibility is. Rejoicing people, you're supposed to go look for people to weep with. And there should be this really weird relationship where the weeping people and the rejoicing people come together and they vicariously are joyful together and vicariously mourn together. All right, that's, that's what, this, what we're called to. That's what we're called to. All right, but, but, all right, let's take it, let's take it one step further. Let's take it one step further. Paul, Paul in, in Philippians, he says this. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. More significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, so what he's saying here is, 
all right, don't just make it like we're relatively equal. No, instead of being self-centered, you're supposed to be others-centered. They're actually more important than you. That if you could choose between your happiness and their happiness, you would choose their happiness. That you don't just rejoice with them, you like, you prefer that. That your heart is in it so much that your instant reaction is like, oh, good, it didn't happen to me, it happened to you. All right, and then, then we take it one step further and we see what, what real love is. That love is actually giving people what you would want. Giving them what, what you would want. Now what does that mean? That means that if you have joy and you see someone weeping, that you would give them your joy and take their weeping from them. That you would trade their sorrow for your joy and you would, you would joyfully do that for them. That we actually pour out our blessings onto other people and receive back their misery. That that is true love. That that is totally and fully fulfilling this commandment. All right. How are we doing with the 10th commandment? Oh, brutal, brutal. All right, this better be a promise because we're not doing this. We are not doing this. And I have to say, in my heart of hearts, I don't even want to be able to do this. That if we actually were to do this, this would ruin our lives. That that would just be, there are plenty of people who are weeping and there are plenty of people to, to give our joy to. And the fear is that they would never stop taking it. And they would utterly devastate our lives. And we'd be left with no joy and tons of weeping and mourning and sorrow and we'd be totally devastated. That's where, that's where the psychologist in the back of our head comes and it's like, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. That'll ruin your life. Like, look out for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. No one's going to take care of you. All right. One person actually did this. One person actually did this. Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's really done it. All right, where did Jesus start? Jesus started up in heaven. Up in heaven. Now, heaven's kind of nice. It's a nice place. That if you were to ever leave there, it would ruin your life. He was totally content up there. He didn't need anything. He didn't want anything of our... He didn't want our, our iPads. All right. He wasn't coveting our stuff. He was perfectly content up there. And he could have stayed up there and been like, you know what, I'm, I'm fulfilling the 10th commandment. I haven't coveted any of their stuff. All right, but he knew it was more than that. It was more than that. No, he was called to, to love us as he would want to be loved. To take on our, our sorrow and give his joy to us. And so Jesus Christ, he came down. He came down from his happy life and came to be miserable with us. He was poor. He could have, he could have been like, oh, you know, I'll come as like a middle class person. No, he came poor. All right, he came under the law. He came to, under oppression, under occupation. He didn't come in a happy time. All right, he wept with those who wept. There's three times, three times where Jesus wept is recorded in the Bible. First, 
first he wept with the sisters of Lazarus. That he actually cried before Lazarus' tomb. He took on their sorrow. He was the center of the universe. He didn't need to be there. He didn't need to care. This wasn't his struggle, but, but he took it as his own. All right, one other, another time he, he cries. He sheds tears over Jerusalem that this city wasn't going to repent and, and put their faith in him. And he was crying over the fact that they were going to be judged for it. Now this is the same city that was going to crucify him in like 24 hours. And he's sitting there crying for them. Alright, one other time he cries. One other time he, he weeps for He weeps for himself. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's weeping over the fact that he's going to have to take on the, the sorrow and sin of the world. And no one is there to weep with him. That his disciples, they, they literally fall asleep. No one wept with him when he wept. And he did this so he could make this exchange. So what did he take? He took, he took the sin, he took the sorrow, he took the death, he took the punishment, he took the judgment. He took those sorrows from us so that he could give us the joy and the peace and the perfection of himself. So he would give us grace and forgiveness. So he could pour joy upon us and he could absorb the sorrow in himself. Alright, what does that do for us? What does that do for us? Alright, the next time when you're sitting there like sad about the fact that you don't have hair or like that your car is not as cool as the guy driving next to you. Alright, stop and think like what has Jesus given to me? What has Jesus given to me? Alright, he's given me he's given me life eternal. He's given me his 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 blood poured out for me. His body nailed to the cross, and now we we eat it so that we can stay alive. He gave us his his spirit. So now he's with you day in and day out. Every time you weep, he is right there next to you. Every time you rejoice, he is right there next to you. You'll never weep alone. You'll never be joyful alone. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. He gives us the, the promises that are all yes and amen in him. He gives us eternal life. Eternal life spent with him. Alright, this should, this should inundate us. And so like, we feel like the greediest, nastiest little kids for wanting to watch. Like, really God? Like, no, like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Don't, you don't need to give me anything. They were actually content. And they were so overwhelmed by all the things he has poured out on us that like, why would we want to take something out from another person? It's just foolishness. We should be living in that realm. Basking in the gifts that he has poured out in us. Alright, and then we should take it one step further. That we are so filled up with and, and so thankful and so overwhelmed by the grace and, and gifts of God and Jesus that we then go out and give that joy to other people. That we give the blessings to other people 
and we receive back their sorrow just as Jesus did for us. That we give and we give and we give and we receive the sorrow and we receive the sorrow because we have a joy in us that cannot be squelched, that cannot be extinguished. That there is a life in us. Now let's say, let's say that you were foolish in the way you did that. You were foolish in the way you did it. You just did it to the very end. And you just kept pouring out your joy and giving it to people who were thankless, who didn't care, and they just keep taking and taking and taking your whole life until you are miserable and you are a wretch and you die alone and sad. All right, let's say that happens to you. You've ruined your life following this commandment. You die... And you stand before the throne room of Jesus. And you look him in the face, and what does he say? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he says, receive the eternal glory that is coming to you. Here's the crown of perseverance. Here are the rewards, tenfold, a thousandfold, for the things that you have sacrificed. You have been like me on this earth, and I was glorified. Here is your glory. That's where we cannot ruin our lives. We cannot give enough away. We cannot give anything away because we have Jesus. And that the blessings of Jesus flow into us and overwhelm anything that we could possibly give away. That the life that is in us will never be taken away from us. Happened exactly the same time last time. That's so weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, man. All right, so go, go do this with abandon. Like, you're not going to screw this up. And if you screw it up too bad, then, like, you're going to arrive at heaven and get more for it. All right, reckless abandon. Now, I recognize that's terrifying. And that we're not going to do it very well. And that at best, we're probably going to do one thing different this next week that we might have not done. All right, good, good. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep, keep giving your joy to people and keep weeping with those who weep in the name of Jesus. At the end, you will have nothing but joy and you'll have nothing but rejoicing with people who rejoice in heaven. You'll receive the joy of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would overwhelm us, that we would have eyes to see the blessings that you have poured out on us. Father, would you help us to see the the foolishness and the selfishness and just the the lack of thanksgiving. Father, would you change our hearts? Father, as we we look at Jesus, we know that that factually and theologically that these things are true, but would you speak to our doubts? Would you speak to our hearts that are sinful, to the hearts that are reluctant and, and do not want to suffer, do not want to help us see the joy of Christ? Would you help us have a deep and lasting fellowship with him? Would we be 
striving and running to save ourselves, but you've already done it. And you invite us to.